Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Monica Packer, and you're listening to About Progress, where we are about progress made practical. Excuse the under the weather voice today. When I was a middle school teacher, I had one of the best and also worst ideas ever when I was trying to help my eighth graders understand metaphors. They just were not getting it. So I thought maybe a very current and very popular pop song would help them finally understand this concept. And I chose Katy Perry's Firework. I'll save you from singing the chorus, but if you can remember it, baby, you're a firework. Come on, let your colors burst. (laughs) I heard that chorus so many times, and it was the best idea in many ways because they finally got the concept, and it was the worst idea because now that song has been permanently ruined for life. I cannot hear it and not immediately be transported back to my dusty classroom. I worked so hard to make inviting. I hear those teenage voices filtering all around me. They're B.O. laced with the cafeteria food from lunch in the quad just outside my classroom. I swear that my heart rate even speeds up when I hear the song. It's as if I know I have stacks of grading and lessons to plan and very soon. Metaphors are so powerful, just like music, right? Not just figuratively, but also literally. The way we speak about ourselves and our world 
is so reflective of the beliefs that we carry and the truths that we prize. Just a few examples. You're a machine. I really need to recharge. This is my season. You can feel the impact these metaphors carry. They're not just words. Today, our guest Joy Marie Clarkson wants you to better notice the words that you use, especially with your metaphors, and how switching them to ones that encourage flourishing over productivity matters. If you're tired of your constant cycles of updating, crashing, and rebooting, Joy will teach you how to stop looking at yourself as a machine and instead to own this metaphor for yourself. I am a tree. Joy Marie Clarkson is the author of You Are a Tree and a host of the popular podcast, Speaking with Joy. She is the book editor for Plow Quarterly and a research associate in theology and literature at King's College London. Joy completed her PhD in theology at the University of St. Andrews, where she researched how art can be a resource of hope and consolation. Joy loves daffodils, bird watching, and a well-brewed cup of Yorkshire gold tea. Learn more at joyclarkson.com. That interview is coming up, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Hum Nutrition, a leading vitamin brand on the forefront of wellness. Hum is best known for Flatter Me, a digestive enzyme that debloats fast and went viral on TikTok. Rooted in science and backed by clinical research, Hum offers clean and targeted formulas that help you reach your wellness goals. Hum has specific solutions that work for you, from gut and skin health to vaginal and hormonal balance. One of my kids was recently complaining about his tummy hurting, and it reminded me of doing the same so often as a kid. My stomach would just get so big and bloated, and my parents and I never really managed to get to the bottom of it. And I still have those issues when I eat certain foods. And now, thanks to Hun Nutrition, I know I can use Flatter Me when those foods are coming up in my day. I simply take a capsule of Flatter Me and its digestive enzymes work immediately and break down the protein, carbs, fiber, lactose, and fats that combine in that item in a way that creates bloat for me. Who knows why? Curious to learn more about Flatter Me and other clean and effective hum nutrition solutions? Well, we have a very special offer for you. Head to humnutrition.com, that's H-U-M nutrition.com, and get 40% off your first order with code PROGRESS. Reach your wellness goals and head to humnutrition.com. That is H-U-M nutrition.com today as this offer expires soon. Terms and conditions apply. It may not be the beginning of the year anymore, but it is never too late to create your own do something list. I have a fully updated and free training to help you create a DSL to add more fulfillment, more fun, and more you into your 2024. The results have been life-changing for so, so many. The free training includes a guide, me teaching a workshop in either video or audio form, however you learn best, and tons of updated examples of real DSLs from members of our own community. You can find it all by going to aboutprogress.com DSL. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joy Marie Clarkson, welcome to About Progress. It's great to be here. I'm excited to talk with you today. In many ways, you are living out the dream 20-year-old Monica had, and I am all here for it. I am just your number one fan now and wanting to learn about everything you're putting out there. But today we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit more academic than maybe my <laughs> listeners are used to, which is going to be fun. And we're going to talk about metaphors and how they matter mm -hmm. and how they influence the way that we view ourselves, our lives, our capacity to change, the way we show up to our lives, and, and including the way we are trying to grow and to develop ourselves. So let's start by just leveling with metaphors. Like, why is that a thing that you're into and why should we all be into it as well? That's such a great question. And when I started writing this book, I wanted to find a way to answer it compellingly because I know that if you hear metaphors, kind of the what came to my mind is like freshman English class, you know, um, doesn't seem like something that has a great deal of relevance to our everyday life. But what I wanted to show in this book is that we use metaphors all the time. We may not think that, but we really do. We talk about recharging. We call somebody a wet blanket. That's a metaphor, right? We use metaphors all the time to describe ourselves, our relationships, the world we live in. And I also think that those metaphors we use shape how we live. And so an example of that would be, um, which I'm sure we'll get more into, but if you describe yourself as, as a machine, right? If you say, I need to recharge or adjust, or if you describe yourself as updating, all of that is kind of using your language to imagine yourself as a computer. And if you imagine yourself as a computer, you'll kind of expect the same sorts of things from yourself that you would expect of a computer. And that shapes how you live. And it also shapes how you think about productivity, how you think about flourishing. And even those two different words, productivity and flourishing, both kind of have metaphorical imaginations connected to them, right? Productivity, we can think of uh, an assembly line of things being produced quickly and efficiently and in the same way, whereas flourishing, we think more of something like a garden or a tree. And so the metaphors that we use, I, I want to convince people, shape what expectations we have and how we live. And so with the book, my goal was, first of all, to make people aware of the metaphors they're using, to kind of wake up to the funny ways in which we use metaphors all the time. One of the ones I've been thinking about lately is people talk about their battle with mental health. And I was thinking, what an interesting metaphor that is, because that kind of almost begins to picture yourself at enmity with your mind. And you know, we know from a lot of research on mental health, that's not really a fruitful way to think about yourself. That that wouldn't actually contribute to flourishing or, or gaining better mental health. So I wanted to make people aware of the metaphors they were using and then to kind of resource them with thoughtful and intentional different metaphors that they could use to to approach life. And in doing that, I kind of drew mainly on metaphors from scripture, from the Hebrew Bible and from the New Testament and from poetry and art. And I think all those things can help kind of give us a new, a new um, 
arsenal, there's another uh, metaphor for you, arsenal of, of metaphors for living life. Um, so that's a rambly answer to your question, but I want people to know that metaphors are important. I want them to be aware of the metaphors they're using and to have a rich resource of metaphors to use about their lives and relationships. I think the connection you made is so true. And it's also so revelatory once we realize, oh my goodness, this is how often I compare myself to a soldier going to battle or a computer producing work. We can recognize too how that is not healthy for us as humans. And we're going to dig in more to that, that part of the conversation. But I do also want to bring up where you said a big source of your material comes from scriptorial works. And I was curious, is this a religious book then? Is this a religious way of thinking about it? Is this basically, mm. is this only for people who find themselves a follower of the Bible? Or would they also be able to get a lot mm. out of this whole conversation and the sources from which you are getting them from? I'm still pretty young, but I've been writing and teaching and doing a podcast over other books. And my background is I'm a scholar of religion and art. So I have done a lot of research on Christian theology and how a lot of the Western art that we see is informed by, by theology, by the Christian tradition. But the way that I like to think of it is that I work from a tradition, but my goal is to just share thoughts about the world from where I sit. Um, but I like to think of that as appealing and have something to offer people, no matter whether they are religious or not religious, whether they share in that tradition or not. And I've been very lucky to be companioned by a lot of religious and non-religious readers over the years, and I appreciate their perspectives. But I think and hope that I would also have lots to offer people, no matter what corner of the world they sit in and how they look at the world. Well, from the way I look at the world, I do think you are succeeding in that hope. Let's go to the metaphor of us comparing, relating ourselves to machines. And you brought up a few examples there, but maybe you can bring up a couple more. But what are some of the ways that we are doing that? And why is it damaging to us as humans, in particular to what you've talked about, about us flourishing more? Yeah, so I think I'm, I've hopefully brought up a few of those, but there's there's so many different ways we talk about mm -hmm. it, right? We talk about recharging, updating, adjusting. Um, we even sometimes when we compliment someone for being really productive, we might say, you're a machine, right? Mm -hmm. And when we say that, there's nothing inherently wrong with using the machine metaphor, right? When we say that, what we mean is that someone um, produces a lot of work that they're quit. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason that we say they're machine is because machines are strong in a particular way that humans aren't, which is that they are consistent and mechanical and fast. And so sometimes when someone's particularly fruitful in their work, we use that to describe them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the problem is, is that if it becomes what there's a scholar, there's scholars called Lakoff and Johnson who wrote a book called Metaphors We Live By. And they describe metaphors that kind of become systemic metaphors, metaphors that describe a whole area of life. So if machines become kind of the systemic metaphor for what it is to be human, I think it's damaging because humans just aren't machines. You know, we are many things, but we are not the same every day. We are affected by by our mood. I, I just got back from Asia, which was warm and humid and uh, had lots of fresh fruits. And now I'm back in Scotland and it's cold and it's dark mm -hmm. and it's very dry. And, you know, our environments affect us, the, the seasons affect us, our relationships affect us. 
And so we just don't operate in the same ways that machines do. And so if we expect ourselves to act like machines, we will begin to kind of have unforgiving expectations of ourselves that ironically actually make us less quote unquote productive, right? If, if I'm not operating within the reality of what a human being is, then I'm not going to get the best out of what a human being is. And so I think that the problem with machine metaphors is just that humans are very much like machines. And so the more we use, we describe ourselves like that, uh, the more we expect ourselves to be like machines, the more we fail at being machines and the less we're able to actually thrive as the kind of beings that we are and the less we're able to have language and creativity and adaptability to what it looks like to thrive while as a human. I see a lot of shame coming up with that way of connecting to ourselves and and the level of which we're supposed to be um, productive and the predictability of our productiveness and and how um, consistent it is and effective and all these things. You know, we just it, it, that shame is what I see creeps in so much of what's wrong with me. Like, why don't I? I used to be able to do this last year really easily. Why can't I do it this year? Or that so-and-so can do it so easily. And why can't I? At least that that comparison piece that is so driven by by shame. And you've shared this story about you doing your master's, I believe, and and trying to operate as a machine and crashing, which is another metaphor. I'm just realizing, you know, crashing mm-hmm. um and not being able to keep up. And it actually worsened your ability to be productive mm-hmm. and working towards your degree. Could you share a little bit more about that moment where you recognize, oh, wait, like in my rush to be a machine, I'm actually being less productive, less fruitful. Yes. Yeah. So it's actually when I was finishing my doctorate, um, doctorate. which, okay. yes, uh, which is a, I think there's no real pleasant way to finish a doctorate. I have only met like one or two kind of, you know, um, uh, unicorns of people who really enjoy the end of their doctorate. But yeah, I, I just pushed and pushed myself. I was really trying to finish the final draft of my thesis at a certain point. And I'd kind of cleared away everything in my life that was not eating, paying my bills and and writing a thesis. And I kind of just like I had withdrawn from a lot of pleasure activities and people and just kind of anything that didn't seem um, productive. And mm-hmm. to my great frustration, I was going so slowly on my PhD. I, I, I couldn't get anything done and I was feeling really frustrated. And, um, and at the same time, I also was just having a lot of health issues. I, you know, it wasn't anything serious, but I was getting cold all the time and I had migraines. It's kind of an old foe of mine. And so I talk about in the book about reaching this point where that all kind of culminated in this, this sleeplessness. And I was, um, in an attempt to overcome the sleeplessness, was watching a documentary by, uh, David Attenborough, you know, the, the conservationist. And he was talking about palm oil trees and how, they make all this money and they're very productive. And I was like, I wish I could be like a palm oil tree. But the reason they're so productive is basically that farmers who farm them have cleared out everything, all other plants, all other wildlife to grow these palm oil trees. But that as they did that, the kind of surrounding land started to mysteriously die and they didn't exactly know why. Um, but as conservationists looked into it, it was because all of these little things 
that they couldn't exactly calculate how they were contributing to the ecosystem, but they were. So they figured out that one of the biggest ones was that these, um, I think they were some kind of creature. I think it was an orangutan. They took two years to raise their babies. And while they did it, they would swing from tree to tree, teaching them what plants to eat. And in doing that, they, they would eat and then they would poop. And then that would put the plants all over the rainforest, which made there be a natural biodiversity that caused it to continue to grow. And because they removed all these animals doing this kind of pointless meandering thing, it began to diminish the environment. Mm-hmm. It's a very long way to say, as I was watching it, I thought, I'm like a palm oil forest. I have cleared away everything in my life that doesn't seem productive or that I can't measure its productivity. I think that's a big part of machines is that we kind of evaluate ourselves only according to what we can measure. Mm. Um, But that just like the palm oil forest, I had kind of made the forest of my life less fruitful and I was beginning to kind of diminish and perish precisely because I wasn't allowing for that kind of, for those many seemingly unproductive things that contribute to making you human be able to flourish well. And that was really a big change for me. So I started I started kind of prioritizing my health. I started prioritizing being with friends, doing creative hobbies. And to be honest, I realized that once I did that, it was much easier to kind of get back up on the horse and finish the PhD. Once I prioritized the kind of holistic, humane part of being a person, I was actually able to quote unquote produce. And that to me is kind of a a picture of what I wanted to write about with this is thinking about how do we have a more holistic picture of ourselves that allows us to be fruitful and to be to be a full human and to progress and to grow, right? I love that your your podcast is about it's about personal growth, right? It's not just about patting ourselves in the back. It's also about wanting to flourish and to grow and to stretch in different areas. But I think the way that we do that is by having a, a full and accurate picture of ourselves. And I think sometimes metaphors get in our way of doing that, but they can also help us gain a fuller metaphor and, and move into growth. In, in your book, you talk about seven different metaphors and how they are a little bit more helpful than seeing ourselves as machines and, and other metaphors as well that aren't very helpful. There's one in particular I'm drawn to, and I'm sure... Um, you are more so as well. I mean, because it's what your book is named after and you are a tree seems to be something that in particular is really um, impactful and personal for you. And this is the one I really want to lean into, although I would love to talk about each one of them, because it really does for me paint that picture of flourishing ways that few other metaphors can do. And just what it means to be someone who is growing in many directions and how also we can't do it alone. And there's so many things there that you taught me even about trees are so helpful to this. So tell us more about this metaphor and why in particular is something that we can look to borrow from trees and how they how they grow, how they help each other, how they get their nourishment and their seasons and how it can connect back to us as humans in the pursuit of flourishing. So part of the reason I picked this this metaphor is just that I think it's one of the most pervasive and ancient metaphors for what it is to be a human and to flourish as a human. I had so much fun writing that chapter, actually the You Are a Tree chapter, because it just allowed me to sit with the many uh, poetic and story and um, just linguistic ways that we link humans and, and trees. When we talk about people, we tend to talk about them as plants or trees, right? We say someone's a late bloomer, 
we talk about feeling rooted or unrooted or uprooted, you know, and all of those are ways to describe how we feel in life. So we, we reach for that metaphor, I think, kind of unconsciously. It's just there easily for us to attach to. But I also specifically linked it to uh, the Psalms. So in the Hebrew Bible, you have the Psalms. It's the book of prayers. So it's the book that we're given language to to talk to God, to describe our desires and our human experience. And the very first Psalm describes the blessed person or the happy person, the flourishing person. And the, the image that it gives is of a tree. So it starts by um, talking about what the blessed person does. And it's largely about the people they surround themselves with. But then it says, this is what a, this is what a, a flourishing person is like. And it says, they're like a tree planted by streams of living water. They bear their fruit in season and their leaf does not wither. And, and it contrasts this to the wicked person who's like chaff, who's blown away in the wind. And so I used this psalm kind of to meditate on the facets of what makes a tree flourish. So it's rooted, you know, much of what we see of a tree, we can't see, right? What much of what we know of a tree is unseen. It's, mm -hmm. it's beneath the surface. It's shaped by its history, by its relationship to other trees, by the soil. And that's a reminder of so much of what it is to be a human is beneath the surface. And it's a part of considering what it is to flourish is, is to know what it is to be human. But also that it's wide streams of water, right? So that image is actually intended to be a tree that's planted in a garden, right? That it's created, it's in a place where it's by a source of water, where it can be nourished. And that reminds us that humans like trees, if we're going to thrive, we need sources of nourishment, intellectually, emotionally, socially, spiritually. Uh, and to think about what are those sources of nourishment and how do we kind of diminish when we don't have sources of nourishment? And then also thinking about um, it bears its fruit in season. That's a, a phrase that I love. And you were talking about that sense of shame earlier. And this is, I think, one of the great things that relieves shame. It doesn't say that a, a flourishing tree, a flourishing person always bears fruit. They bear it in season. And one of the things I enjoyed doing when I was researching for the book was looking at different kinds of trees and how actually it's not, not every fruit-bearing tree bears fruit in the same way. Figs bear bear fruit three times a year. Whereas an apple tree, if it bears too much fruit, it will only bear fruit every, every other year. And so thinking about ourselves as trees and knowing that we have seasons and we have fruit bearing seasons and we have barren seasons, uh, that's not a, a bug in the system. That is, there's, there's a metaphor for you. It's not a bug in the system. You're not a machine. It is a feature of being a tree. It's a part of flourishing. And so if you find yourself in a long season of not bearing fruit, that might actually be a good thing. It might be that you are preparing for a great season of fruitfulness. You kind of just need to rest and let your roots seep, sink deep in the soil and, and see what will come next. Um, and then, and then the, the passage ends with, um, and their leaf does not wither and whatever they do flourishes. And that brings to mind this kind of question of what endures of a tree, right? A tree endures for many, many years. So what are the things that do not wither in our lives? Um, that's a part of flourishing too. It's not just productivity. It's not just rootedness, not just nourishment. It's also endurance. So what what allows a tree to live for hundreds of years? What does not wither? And how are we living those things in our lives? So those are my reasons for the tree and kind of um, the main image that I sat with was that psalm. 
Let's take a quick break for our sponsors. As a parent, there are so many choices we make and little details can have a big impact. I've had several kids with very sensitive skin and sensitive tummies, so we know well the rabbit hole of researching products and ingredients to ensure it's the right fit for our littlest humans. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about A2 Platinum Premium Infant Formula. It's trusted by millions of parents around the world. They make the choice easy. A2 Platinum is nutritionally complete with key ingredients to support growing babies. It's made from fresh, pure A2 milk from cows that naturally produce only the A2 protein. That detail alone made me so happy to have some sent to my sister who had been struggling to get a formula my baby niece would accept and easily digest. She was so thrilled that not only her baby took to it right away, something that wasn't happening with other formulas, but she digested it really well too. And that was also something that was not happening prior to A2 Premium. As an aunt, I felt good about giving A2 Platinum to my little niece because quality and safety have always been A2's top priority. They have a flawless track record of zero recalls, and they received the Clean Label Project's Purity Award. A2 Platinum is the smart choice for your little one, and right now, as one of my listeners, you'll get 25% off your first purchase when you order using my exclusive URL, a2platinum.com forward slash progress. This is an amazing deal, so don't wait. Order now at the letter A, the number two, platinum.com slash progress. That's a2platinum.com slash progress. I hope you never listen to this podcast and think, wow, that sounded really hard to make. Why? Because it's my job to make this sound easy. Podcasting is actually hard work and one that I love, but it's only possible because of the listeners who both support the work behind the show and the future of About Progress. Doing so starts at just $2 a month, and being a supporter gives you access to so much more that you are going to love, from exclusive online meetups to my secret reading diary, my private premium ad-free podcast, more personal, and so much more. Learn more about the possible levels of support by going to aboutprogress.com support. You know, I often speak about how women must do habits differently. And one of the biggest reasons why is simply biology. In other words, hormones. Our hormones are a real factor to how we feel physically, mentally, and emotionally, and they constantly change day to day and year to year as we age. My friends warned me that the hormone roller coaster gets harder as we get older, and they were right. From worse PMS to more aggravating period symptoms to all the things that come with perimenopause and menopause. If you're wanting help with that hormone roller coaster, I want you to check out today's sponsor, Happy Mammoth, and their supplement, Hormone Harmony, a bottle of which is sold every 24 seconds with over 17,000 reviews. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. And here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible perimenopause and menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas, and so much more. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of those things. If you want to feel more like yourself, 
make sure you go to Happy Mammoth and find Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code PROGRESS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code PROGRESS for 15% off today. And I want to connect one thing to the the last part you just brought up about living for a very long time. You talk about a, a stump that was still showing signs of life and how that shouldn't be possible because it doesn't have leaves, you know, to, to, I'm not going to explain the science because I'm not a science person, but it, it shouldn't be possible. And what the scientists discovered though, is that it was connected to all the other roots around it and how that was allowing even a stump to flourish because of how much it was connected to other trees. And to me, that really resonated because sometimes we are just stumps. Like we just, mm. we can't reach anymore. We can't grow anymore. We can't strive anymore. Mm but we can be bolstered up and given that nourishment by the people mm-hmm. around us, which don't wither, especially when mm-hmm. we've put nourishment in those relationships. And that is what I find in my past history as a perfectionist was what suffered the most were my relationships and the mm-hmm. process of trying to be so productive of being so mm-hmm. efficient and consistent. My relationships suffered. So when I was a stump, mm-hmm. I didn't have as much of those to depend on when I needed them the most. And the reverse has been true for me as I've worked more on my relationships during those times where I feel like I don't have much more to give. I have people who at least support me during that time. And it's been such a different way of living. I love that. And I also love, so the, the, the thing you're talking about is this, the scientists who discovered stumps that still had green, right? They still had, but photosynthesis didn't seem like that could still be happening, but somehow it was. And the thing I also love about that is that the trees, if you can talk about trees deciding, the other trees decided or huh. or sent their nourishment to that tree um, without any promise in the sense of any possibility of it bearing fruit, right? They just nourished it because it was in their, it was in their canopy. It was their tree to nourish. And I think that so often we can feel like we can only receive support or nourishment for the people if we kind of display some kind of, well, I'm going to get better, I'm, I'm going to be okay. But that actually the very nature of the support we need and love is that people give it to us simply because we are loved and, and not because we need to prove our capacity to improve or produce. And it's bringing me back to, you know, another part of computers is that they work best in isolation. You know, when you have a lot of computers mm-hmm. in the same area, they're not going to work so well together. You know, they get burnt out quicker. The technology doesn't work as well. The internet is way down. But it's, it's so different when we look at it as a tree is best in a community of trees. Mm-hmm. And same with us. I, I'm not going to keep beating that that horse over there, but I do want to um, have you read a quote to me that I feel like was really helpful. And this is coming from someone who, even with all my work on not leveraging my identity off of my productivity, I discovered in the winter of last year how much I still was. And that's when mm-hmm. I was a stump or I was in a season of winter, if we can go with the season mm-hmm. metaphor. And it was frustrating for me. I, I'm, I'm going to make this a nutshell. I, I had my fifth kid. And so I, w- I knew mm-hmm. what it was supposed to be like, right? I knew mm-hmm. what to expect. And yet it, it flattened me in ways I never had experienced with my other four, even though I had a very quote unquote, normal, healthy baby. And I had not had normal or healthy babies in the past. I have some special needs kids. So for me, it was just so demoralizing when I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't do 
the basics of what were, were so easy when I had harder circumstances and that self-blame mm. creeping in and recognizing that I was just a tree in the winter and it was okay. Mm. It was just okay. And this, what you shared would really have helped me then, but it's helped me now as I've kind of grown back to being okay. And I'm now back, I feel like in spring and that's feeling really good to begin the spring of my, of my own season again. But I want to share this for people who are feeling like they're kind of in the winter right now and that's their season. And it's really hard and it can be demoralizing and frustrating. Um, so I'm pulling up my copy and I know you have your copy here and I don't want to say page number for those who do get the book because it might not be the right page that either of us are on, but I will say it's in the chapter, You Are a Tree, and it's in the section, Yields Its Fruit in Season. Okay, Joy, will you please share that with us? Yes. Sometimes it can be frightening when it feels like our effort or prayer hasn't borne fruit. But remembering you are a tree can relieve some of this anxiety by reminding us that even wintry seasons as long as they feel, may be a time when our roots are growing deep and may precede the decadent glory of spring. This perspective encourages us to pay attention to what is happening in our lives, what season we are in. Trees are constantly adjusting to the weather, the sun, the nutrients in the soil, the activity of bugs and animals. This invites us to adopt a posture of agency in those waiting and wintry seasons. You need not only weather the storm, but also figure out what you need in this season to ready yourself the next. Do you need to draw strength from other trees in the forest around you? Do your roots need to grow deeper? And this meditation on the metaphor of trees can offer some hope. Seasons come again and again. Just because you had an early frost in life doesn't mean you will not bear fruit again. Just because you feel stripped down by life does not mean you will not flower again. You are not a machine, useless when one or many of its parts expire. You are a miraculous and beloved creation with more resilience pulsing through your roots than you think. Thank you. That was so beautiful to hear it exactly from you as it was meant to be. I'm curious about your own life. You know, what season are you in right now? Do you feel? And that's a pretty personal question, but I'm curious about where you are with your own flourishing and how it's changed you to change the way that you speak about yourself and your life and your humanness. Mm, that's such a great question. I'm torn between saying I'm in a spring or I'm in a harvest season. I think I'm kind of in a harvest season. I think that mm. there were, um, I think there were about five deeply good, but kind of wintry years of my life where a lot of what I was doing was working very persistently on my podcast and on my PhD. And um, there were good and happy things that happened, but a lot of it was just deeply dutiful and quiet and waiting and hoping it would mean something and, and grow somewhere and under the where surface. I had a lot of, yes, under the surface where I had a lot of kind of desires and questions um, in my life that I, I didn't know if they would be met with something good um, or if they would be fulfilled. And I feel like in the past year, in a kind of almost violent abundance, a lot mm -hmm. of those 
those questions about vocation and relationships and love have been answered. A lot of those questions about work and good, fruitful work have been answered too. And I've been really blessed to be able to do a lot of things I love and care about. And um, and even the, some of the questions I was thinking about this when I was rereading the introduction about rootedness and about how to belong when when I don't exactly have a place that I'm totally from. A lot of those have been answered in interesting ways, too. And I know they'll continue to be answered over and over again. And that has been, in some ways, exhausting. Like harvest mm. seasons, I think, could be very exhausting, you know, when yes. when many things in your life suddenly bear fruit. But I've also just been deeply thankful for it. I've always loved autumns. So I think that is where I am, where I, I'm thankful for whether it's the spring or the harvest. Um, maybe the spring. I think it's the spring. I think it's I had a long winter and suddenly everything is growing and there's a lot to do and a lot to invest in and a lot to love. And there's, there's a little bit of exhaustion in that, but also just deep thankfulness. I love that. Thank you for letting us uh, go a little bit more personal there. It's lovely to hear about where you're at and how it's helped you. When I think about what I've learned from your book, if there's just one takeaway I could have for my listeners, it would be to just ask the question, what season am I in? That mm -hmm. permission to ask that question is what has given me the compassion and the space I've needed to accept where mm -hmm. I'm at. And that includes like right now, I told you, I feel like I'm more in the spring. Like now I have more energy. Like I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm mm -hmm. ready to do things differently. I can now do it in ways I couldn't have before, but in ways I can honor now too. I can honor better that, that seasonal part of it. For you, what is, and this is like asking you to pick between like your most beloved people in your life, I'm sure. But is there one takeaway in particular that you're like, I just hope people can get this from my work through this book? Um, yes. And this may seem like a left turn from what we've been talking about. But I think the thing I really want them to want people to take away from this book is to pay attention to your life. Right. And a part of that is answering that question of what season are you in? Mm -hmm. um, but it's also to pay attention to the trees in your life, to the way that light falls on you in the morning, mm -hmm. to the way that picking something up, putting it down feels, to pay attention to all these experiences in your life because they give us language for and they reveal things about our deepest intuitions and desires and experiences. And I think that the more we pay attention to our life, whether that's what season we're in or the most kind of fundamental basic experiences, the more depth we discover is actually there every day. And mm -hmm. um, and I think, and so that's what I wanted people to take away was kind of a sense of wonder and attention to their life. Oh, you nailed it. I think you nailed it. <laughs> so we like to end with a practical note. And what's one mm -hmm. doable way that they can take action on what they learned today? I want to narrow that in on what you just shared, if you're comfortable doing that, about how to pay attention to our lives. Is there a, a standard practice or an exercise or of anything that has more of a doable, practical nature that can help them better pay attention to their lives that maybe you can suggest? Yes. So the first thing that came to my mind, which I think I'm going to say, even though it could seem slightly impractical, is um, I've always kept a journal. And um, I used to keep a journal in a kind of intermittent way where I would like, when I had a burst of emotion, I would, mm -hmm. uh, you know, write down things. And that was just, I, I struggle reading those journals because I just go, oh my gosh. Yes, I'm so relate. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
about two years ago, I started to do, um, I started to write just every day. Um, I, at that season of my life, I could write at least a page every day. I know that may not be possible for other people, depending on your life stage and work and kids and whatever, but just spending writing something every single day and not writing about something deep or your emotional life. You can if you want to, but just writing something every day about where you are, what you're seeing, what you're doing. And I know that seems very silly and simple, but I think just that practice of sitting down, noticing noticing something in your life and writing it down every day, even if it's a few sentences, has really helped me kind of attend to the season I'm in. I start noticing themes that I write about over and over again. It also just helps me notice little things in my life, whether it's, you know, the bird that continues to come to my window or things like that. So for me, writing something a little bit every day really helps me pay attention to my life. But that could just be because that's my my own literary kind of neuroticism. <laughs> no, and I think you also shared that in a way that is very practical, even a sentence or two. And and actually that helps me as someone who struggles with journaling because of that same relationship I've had in the past of it being more about emotions or trying to process deep and hard things. And if I know I'm just journaling about like what happened that day or something I noticed mm-hmm. in a sentence or two, I'm much more likely to do it, which will actually lead to more of the reflection and processing <laughs> than if I knew I had to start there. So thank you for that. I want to make sure we send people to where you are online. Where do you want them to go and where should they look for the book and when? So the book, Your Tree and Other Metaphors to Nourish Life, Thought and Prayer, uh, comes out on February 20th and you can pre-order it now um, anywhere that books are sold. So, you know, there's the usual Amazon or it's noble. I also encourage people to order a copy through your local bookstore, which you can do through, uh, I think it's called bookshop.org is a good resource for that. Um, and then I am on social media, uh, Joy Marie Clarkson, usually at join us the Braves, um, which is a, a tag I came up with years ago and have not changed from. And <laughs> I, love that. I have a, I have a sub stack, which is also just Joy Clarkson. And, and I have a podcast called Speaking with Joy, which I will be restarting as awesome. I do the book launch. So people can find that as well. Well, I know since they've already enjoyed listening to you so much here that they uh, should definitely go right to making sure they subscribe. So that way they can get to it as soon as you are back. And I'm sure you're going to be hitting it hard. And I am wishing you <laughs> good luck and a good harvest as all your work is uh, producing the fruit here. That is not just good for you, but for so many others. Thank you for taking the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions. That was awesome. I really enjoyed that. I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants you need to grow. I'll now share the progress pointers from this episode. These are the notes I took so you don't have to. And those on my newsletter, get them in a graphic form each week. You can sign up at aboutprogress.com slash newsletter. Number one, we use metaphors all the time to describe ourselves, our relationships, and to make sense of our world. They influence the way we see ourselves and the ways we behave. Number two, be aware of the harmful metaphors you are using and seek out more flourishing metaphors instead. Number three, Consider how a tree compares to our desire to flourish as humans, the roots of the past influencing the present, how interconnected we are, the nourishment we need to thrive, and more. And number four, pay attention to your life, to the season you're in, and the fruit you're growing. 
Seek out ways you can better honor your humanness, your aliveness, and ways trees do the same for themselves. Your do something challenge this week is to journal in ways that help you notice your life. And I love that spin on it. I also loved my chat with Joy so much. Maybe you don't know this about me, but what I wanted to do so desperately after I left college was go into academia. And I was well on my way, but with the recession at that time, it became a very impractical choice for my very poor family. So I went to Plan B, which was teaching, and I got to do a weird form of academia with middle schoolers anyway. And now in the even funner ways, I feel like I get to learn and research alongside you. This show is listener supported. To become a supporter and get all of our exclusive benefits, you can go to aboutprogress.com support. The fun thing about the benefits is that there are three different levels and they include different benefits that keep building as you go up. One of the benefits that all supporters get is every other month we have an online meetup and we just did that with our first Ask Me Anything party and it was a party. Another benefit is access to our premium podcast, More Personal, where we've had so many popular episodes recently, especially the one about Rachel Hollis and an honest review about Gab Watch. You can sign up again at aboutprogress.com support. You can always support the show for free. Simply share the show with someone who you know will really connect with this material today. And thank you so much for doing so. I so appreciate you took the time to listen. Now go and do something with what you learned today. She's the books editor for Plow Quarterly and a research assistant. Of Yorkshire, of Yorkshire, oh my goodness. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.